Count money, man. Money, Stack man. riches. Trying to told, try told him I'm a beast, bud. What's up, gang? Welcome back to another episode of the Grindcast. Get ready. It's a new day. We got Dalton, Hercules, Rasta in the building again today. No stranger to the Grindcast. What's up, Dalton? What's up, bro? How's it going? Good, good. Josh was, you know, telling me, you know, I got series of things that I want to ask that I think will add value to listeners, but because you've been on a couple times, he was saying maybe just some casual conversation. So I'm going to throw some curveballs at you. He, Josh said, well, maybe some, you know, whatever you guys would normally talk about, you know, when you're by yourself, you know, that you wouldn't mind, you know, getting out to the public. I, so I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't know if we that, could. That might be pushing a little bit far. <laughs> So we'll we'll see. I, I think one thing um, that I would like to open up, you know, talking about for those of you that don't know, uh, Dalton Rasta, eight no uh, undefeated professional fighter in mixed martial arts, currently number four ranked uh, Bellator fighter uh, in the world, twenty seven years old. Yes, sir. Now, right, one hundred eighty five pound. Um, prospect that is is starting to get a lot of notice around the world um represent newcastle pennsylvania and uh you know had some help on the way but really has done a lot of it you know in the individual sport a lot of it uh by himself there's only so much somebody can help you with at the end of the day you got to put in the work and you know one of the things that um one of the things that that inspired me um about you Dalton and maybe want to stay connected and invested into into your life and believe in you was your was your work ethic and your discipline you know two things that that I think are critical uh to win in sports and win in life and I watched the discipline that you had you know and and I've been around the game I'm no professional fighter but I've been around the game for you know over a decade I've been around people and people that say they're going to make it or think that they're going to make it and you know what separates from what i've seen the people that make it is is the discipline and the and the work ethic when it's not comfortable and i watched you have that discipline and work ethic over the years um even when there was maybe, maybe we can open up you know josh said he wanted some in between the lines we'll keep it in in between the lines but you know, like as an example, you know, I remember when you were younger mm -hmm. um, going through some times where Dalton don't drink, Dalton don't smoke, no drugs, you know, no, no nothing. So first off right there, I thought that was super unique, you know, uh, about you that for a young person to be so committed to what they're doing, to not drink, um, not even smoke a cigar, like just nothing everything in your life was was focused on does if it doesn't make me better in my pursuit of what I'm trying to do then I don't have any I don't have any time for it but there was some there was some moments you know when as a young man um uh, that I remember as an example of times where you did the walk of shame why don't we walk out why don't we can we do you feel comfortable talking about the walk of shame sure why not? Sure. Come on. Let's throw it at him, Josh. Let's have some fun today, okay? And this was PG, uh, pre-Gina. Um, but me and Dalton, he's so stubborn. So we we would meet at the gym. And you guys know I'm an early, I'm an early riser, right? And so we would meet at the gym 
early in the morning during during COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, COVID happened, and we had to have this the underground gym because they wasn't letting people in the gym. So yeah. we're gonna leave the gym undisclosed right now. But we had a gym that Dalton got access to, where we were able to still hit the gym, and it was a little bit of a drive away. And uh, you know, I remember um, one time, a couple times. You know, we're meeting at five o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the morning, uh-huh. and Dalton walks in at five o'clock in the morning, Alyssa, and he got on a button-down shirt and like some nice pants on and some dress shoes at five o'clock in the morning. So you obviously didn't wake up in the morning and say, "We're gonna go to the gym. I'm gonna put on button-down." some nice dress pants and some shoes, right? So my man was yeah. just just getting home, you know, from from somewhere, but still showed up at the gym. You know, you remember that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So what was going through your head when you said, you know what, I'm still going to show up in a button-down and some dress shoes to the, to the gym? Because that's the whole thing that I had to do the next morning. You know, that was one, one of my goals, waking up. And in this case, just staying up, I pulled all nighter, um, but waking up, working out, getting my day started. And then I usually back then, whenever I was training in PA, I was doing three days and four days, you know, this before I moved to American top team. But there was a couple scenarios whenever we were working out at Southside Barbell in Newcastle. And I remember one time that the, the, I think this was the first time I pulled an all-nighter and I came in, I came and worked out with you. We were planning on working out like 5.30 a.m. We met there 5.30 a.m. And this is whenever you were, we were meeting up, reading, you were reading the scripture and stuff first, and then we were working out after. And this was when stuff first opened, and it was like, well, it opened in Cleveland. So it was like maybe mid-April. They tried the first opening, and my friends from Newcastle, uh, Mike Molinero, Dimitri Martini, a couple others, they were like, let's go out like we've been cooped up for a month and a half we haven't been able to go anywhere we weren't allowed out of the out of the house there was curfews everything else so let's go to cleveland i was like okay i'll go with you guys i'll because they wanted me to be the dd you know they all drink i don't drink so whenever they go out and they need a dd you know they hit me up it's not so much they want to hang out with me it's they they want me to drive for them so i was like all right i'll go with you but i need to be back like by 1 a.m you know, so we'll go, we'll have like an early night. We'll leave at like 1130 midnight, come back. Cause I got to get at least a few hours of sleep. I got to work out at 530 AM, get up at five. I'm like, all right, all right, all right, all right. We'll, we'll, we'll be back for sure. And the way they were acting over the next like 30 minutes, I had a good feeling that we weren't going to be, but I was being hopeful. We went, we actually left probably like 230 so it would have put us back in Newcastle around 3.30. I wasn't going to get any sleep still, you know, but maybe I would have been able to get like a half hour worth of sleep and uh, just a little nap. And on the way back, we stopped at a gas station, McDo- or we stopped at a McDonald's where there was a gas station right next to it, and I wasn't paying attention to the gas gauge whatsoever. So we were right next to a gas station, and we didn't get gas. Cause I didn't think we had to, there was no, like there was something wrong with his elect electrical, uh, his electric in his car and the dash wasn't showing like the, the gas light or anything. There was no sound, like no alarm going off like in other, other cars and just kept driving, got back on the highway, kept driving. We were about one mile from the Mitchell road exit in the Shanick 
and the car just stopped like letting me pre press on the gas shut down and started slowing down i pull over to the side of the road i was like we're out of gas mike's in the back he's like you're bullshitting i was like no i'm not he's like stop fucking with me i'm like i swear to god we are out of gas dude got out of the car came around the front checked because he didn't believe me and sure enough we were out of gas so everybody started calling people on their phone but granted it's 3 30 a.m 3 45 a.m who's gonna be up you know so we're calling everybody in our contacts finally dimitri gets a hold of somebody and they come they drive out to us and dimitri goes with them to a gas station they get you know one of those little gas carriers Fills up a couple gallons of gas, brings it back, puts it in. This is probably 4.15 at the time. I drop them off. I just get home. As soon as I get home, drink a Bang Energy drink. This is whenever I was big on the Bangs and go straight to the gym. And we got to work out in. That was one of the first times. There were several other occasions. The one you're talking about, we were LA Fitness. This maybe May. Cause so that's the one where you had the button down mm -hmm. on. Yeah. Yeah. That was... I was out with a couple other of my friends from Pittsburgh, Cole Masick, Adam Pintar, Dustin Sleva. Uh, this is this is probably early to mid-May that that happened because we were out in Pittsburgh, and I would have had to drive all the way back to Newcastle, and then the LA Fitness to come down there, and I showed up in my jeans, dress shirt, uh, dress shoes. To LA I, Fitness. Yes, and I walk Even in. Even better. I walk in. You're on elliptical. I look over, I see your ass recording me all the way walking in. <laughs> I got to like dig that up. I got to dig that up. With a big ass smile on your face. Recording me the whole way over. And I'm, I'm walking in looking for you. Your ass was probably recording me for a solid 30 seconds before I spotted you. Recording me all the way over. And I'm like, this is never going to let me live this shit Because, Josh, what we do when we're by ourselves is we argue half the time. That's what, that's what we do. Dalton, I, I told him. If, if he wasn't going to be a fighter, I call him Dr. Rasta. Everything about nutrition, you know, he'll, he'll argue with you to the, to the, to the death uh, over that. But he knows his it. shit, though. But he knows his shit. So I start calling him Dr. Rasta. He knows more than most doctors when it comes to a lot of the stuff. And, and, but or, but El, you could have been an attorney, too. He could have been an attorney because you love, you love my brother to argue. And that is probably one of the motivating factors that you would probably show up and rather do to walk a shame at LA fitness than to not show up. Cause you know, I would have never, ever, ever let you live that down. If you had to call me with some excuses, listen, I made a commitment. I, that I was going to work out with you. So those things make Thanks. me even believe that those moments, even though they're funny, make me believe they made me believe in you even more because I know what that, mindset has to be in order to still show up like that because that's something that I would have done you know too and those are the things that I think you know over time make you special I, I think you know another thing that sticks out to me is you know part of the game is handling injuries you know and and you haven't had a, a crap ton you know but you've had a couple you know injuries in mm -hmm. between fights and stuff like that you know, that's your whole life has been centered around, you know, training for years and years and years. And so when you're taking that, when, when, when that gets taken away for a couple of weeks or you get injured, you know, to where you got to, you know, not train as much or mm -hmm. how do you handle, you know, what's the mindset when you're like, all right, I'm injured. 
you know, from where you know, like, I'm injured. What happens from that point forward? Right, so the first day, I'll just speak on a little bit of the injury I had last time. I tore my LCL and my meniscus um, just two months ago, roughly, maybe a little bit longer. I was sparring with Josh Silvera down to ATT. I was getting ready for – or helping get ready for his PFL fight that he had coming up beginning of April. And uh, I threw a kick to his body. He caught it. And tried taking me down. When he was trying to take me down, we were in the crackdown position. You're aware of it, wrestling position. And when he had my leg, I reached on the far side uh, on his hip and was, like, scooting to his back. But he still had my leg. But I was going to try and slip that leg in and, like, take his back. And as I was doing that, my knee just popped. And I heard it. He heard it. And he was right by my knee. And he heard it. And his reaction was worse than mine. Yeah. So right away, you know, you. I can hear it because yeah. you sent me the video. Yeah. Like you're in the you're in pain. I like reach at my knee. I'm like, ah, but like he's like, ooh, ooh, ooh. Like and he, he's doing it like and I'm, I, when I show people this video, I'm like, I just want you to know that this is not me. This is him. That's continuing to say that I'm not that much of a pussy. <laughs> and, uh so he keeps doing this, and then he the coaches come in, the camera shut off. At that time, they shut the camera off. But, uh, like, I felt like I couldn't, like, move my knee at first, and I didn't want to. Like, I was scared to, you know? So I'm like, fuck. I'm like, I haven't heard a pop like this since, like, high school whenever I had my last knee surgery. Well, I've had a few since, but my first knee surgery. And uh, I was just scared to move my knee. I was scared to, like, get up and put weight on it. So, like, right away... Like, the fear sets in. I'm like, I start thinking, like, fuck. Like, is this bad? Is this going to be my ACL? Am I going to be out for a year? Uh, so those things start running through your head at first. Eventually, I got up, uh, started putting a little bit. I hopped out of the cage, and then I sat down with ice on it. Uh, I eventually got the courage to stand up, started walking around a little bit, was limping, but I was able to put pressure on it. So I'm, like, thinking, okay, that that's good, but, like, this could still be bad, you know? People have torn their ACL and been able to walk. No doubt. So I was already scheduled to go back to Pittsburgh like a day or two later, but I switched my flight to a day earlier uh, just so I could see Burnett, Dr. Burnett right over here at Regeneration. And uh, so I went and seen him. Uh, he did all the tests for my LCL and my meniscus, and uh, he said it was a grade three LCL tear. He did some stem cells, some PRP, some peptides, um, and – started the recovery process right then and there. But over the course of the next five, six weeks before I started training again, I just got to remind myself, you know, to be patient and look at this as an opportunity to like rest, give myself a mental break from training. I was training so hard. Um, I was dealing with other like nagging injuries. So I gave my chance, myself a chance to heal. Otherwise, uh, gave myself a little mental break and I wasn't like at this time I wasn't even like watching fights I wasn't like trying to study up stuff that I could do like like visually training, you know and mentally training I wasn't watching videos on techniques. I was like I'm gonna give this Give myself this time to completely get away from fighting so that way whenever I do come back from this injury I'm all in I'm not burnt out mentally. I'm not uh you know, depressed because of the injury. I just took time to like enjoy myself and get away from fighting. And there's people out there that might do the opposite, but I found the way that I did that to be more beneficial to me. And I came back from training. Whenever I came back, I was like ready to be back. I was excited. I was like, you know, on edge, like I couldn't wait. And uh, I eased back into it. You know, I started boxing at first, was wearing a knee brace. It was still a little bit, uh, like it wasn't stable yet. And, uh, I was using the knee brace, just boxing. I couldn't move a lot. I couldn't cut angles. 
uh, certain punches I would throw would hurt. So I just, you know, listen to my body. Next week and a half, started throwing a little bit of kicks with my left leg. Another week goes by, I start throwing them with my right. Another week goes by, I start drilling wrestling. So I started what I felt like was the worst for my knee. I kept pushing it off till last. And I started to ease into things that were a little <clears> bit <throat> harder on my knee. But I felt like I was ready for the step. And if I was ready for the step, I'd do that for a little bit. Then I'd ease into the next part, which the last part was wrestling, live grappling, which I sparred this past Tuesday for the first time. I sparred Saturday, but I did some grappling on Wednesday. Some positions for my knee didn't feel stable, but I rolled with uh, at the Mat Factory on Sunday with you. We rolled this morning. Uh, that, that's why I'm here, by the way, for anybody listening, because he only lets you on the podcast. You work out with him early in the morning. <laughs> and... Um, we rolled this morning, so now, now I feel like I'm pretty close to 100%. I feel like I'm about 90%. Uh, I'm gonna give it another couple of weeks before I take the knee brace off. But the whole entire time is just about being patient, you know, knowing, especially after I got all the test done, I got the stem cell, the PRP, knowing that it's a matter of time and it's just being patient. I'm not gonna need surgery. I just can't mess it up worse. I can't uh, come back to training too early. Because I'm getting too excited or I'm getting too bored. It takes bored. discipline. Yeah. It's the opposite side of training. You have yeah. to have discipline to show up for training and train two to three times a day and have a certain schedule and eat certain things during camp. But you also have to have discipline to know when you got to take time off and let your body rest. Let's talk about scheduling, you know, how what, what your schedule is, you know, when you're getting prepared. But also before that. You know, a story I wanted you to tell was the one we were talking about recently about, mm -hmm. you know, when you were coming up as an amateur, when your rib was busted up and you still fought. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. So we were talking about this other day on the way to the mat factory. We were talking about some of the people that are good there, good to roll with, good good at jujitsu. And we were talking about Trent Zadarko. And Trent Zadarko is somebody that I wrestled in high school. Good wrestler. Good fighter as well, good at jujitsu. We went over that, uh, but I also had, I also got to fight him too. I was, I fought him as an amateur. It was my fourth or fifth amateur fight, and this was, I got the announcement eight to ten weeks out. It was my first title fight. It was a big deal. I sold a bunch of tickets, like three to four thousand dollars worth of tickets. Where was I it get, at? This was at. It's in Cannonsburg. It's the Isoplex, I think it's okay. called, uh, and this was for Pinnacle FC back when Pinnacle was around. And I, like I said, I sold three to $4,000 worth of tickets. So so many people spent money on this on these tickets. There wasn't a guarantee they were going to get their money back. They might have just got credit for a, for, for a next show in the future, you know, a future show. Uh, but on top of that, I was in college. I was training two to three times a day. There was only so much time that I could work to pay my bills, to pay for gas, to pay for food. And I was doing security on the weekends, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, losing sleep, but I was still getting up in the morning training on three, four, five hours of sleep sometimes. And I was training two to three times every day. Uh, I had 19 credit hours, and then I would do some electric work throughout the week for a company that I worked for in Newcastle. So I was doing everything I possibly can, but I was still- 19 calling. credit hours, working on the weekend. Part-time during the week. security. And security six hours every night, Thursday through Saturday. And training two, three times a day. Yep, every single day, except for I would take Tuesdays off because I had class all day long. And then I had night class, and I only had like a three-hour break in between. Um, so doing all of that, but still trying to make enough money, I, I had to make sacrifices. Like I had to sacrifice how much money I was making. I had to sacrifice my grades a little bit, but grades were important to me. You know, I wanted to be successful in that aspect too. So I can only sacrifice some enough 
to give myself enough time to train, to give myself to make just enough money to get by. But even at that point, my math was off. I was still falling behind on bills. I was falling behind on rent. I was falling behind on gas. I, my, I was overdrafted multiple times on my bank account. Um, so this fight, I mean, a lot of these amateur fights, they give you commission for ticket sales, depending on how much you sell. So they, they have like a certain, they'll have like brackets. Like you sell up to $1,000, you get like 10%. You sell up to 2000 you get 15 You sell up to 3000 you get 25 You sell up to 4000 you get 35 Above that, you get 40 or whatever. So I was getting probably 30, 35 to 40% of these ticket sales at the time, commission on them, and I needed the money bad, you know. Like I was, I was down bad, and I ended up getting an injury. I was sparring with a heavyweight. He was 270 pounds, and I'm 200 pounds at the time, uh, 10 days before my fight. Uh, granted, I wanted to be known I already had a meniscus tear before this. I ended up getting knee surgery after the fight. But every time I would try to jog, do sprints, any type of running, my knee would blow up. I'd be down for three, four days to let the swelling go down just so I could go back to training. So all of my conditioning was just pad work and sparring, and that's it. And I couldn't do much grappling. There was only certain positions I would do, so we do positional work. And Trent is a very good wrestler, very good fighter, very good at jujitsu. So I had a tough task in front of me. And then this spot, last sparring session, ten days before the fight, I got cracked in the ribs hard, and I ended up finishing the round. But I wanted to take a knee, you know, kind of like we just seen in the Ryan Garcia fight. I wanted to do that, but I didn't. I continued the rest of the round. But after the round, I was done. I sat down talk to my coaches they're like oh you probably just bruised them whatever you'll probably be good in a couple days I was sitting down for five minutes I go to get back up so, can't breathe like already super stiff I can't like twist I can't like sit up next few days like every time I would get out of bed I like the morning I got out of bed for my fight I had to put like my feet on the ground like this and roll out of bed because I couldn't Imagine like, physically that. sit up that hurt yes to get up out of bed, you had to crawl yes. around like that the day of the fight. But it would it wasn't even just pain, you know. It was the fact that like my muscles weren't actually strong enough to do a sit up out of bed. I'm, if I'm sleeping on my back, I literally can't get up like this. It was like I had so much shit going through my head. I was like, man, like this is a really bad position. But I I need this fight, you know. I can't pull out. I don't want to pull out. I sold so many tickets. These people are looking forward to the fight. They might not get their money back. I need the money too. Um, there, was your dad already passed at this point? He was already passed. Um, and so on top, how old are you? Twenty-seven now. No, when when this? Was uh, this was I was twenty-one or twenty-two. Twenty-one, so. twenty-two years old. Like lost his dad. Dad passed away. Yeah, he no never parents even got around. To see me fight. My dad never even got to see me fight. No parents around. Nobody like to lean on. You know, as a parent you know, or anything like that, dude just out here on his own, making it happen, rolls himself out of bed and, and goes and in Isaac can verify all this. He had me doing cat-cow exercises. He had me coming in and getting uh, the tens unit on my ribs, icing it. He was doing a bunch of therapy, the cold laser, all that. He could verify this at the time. This is before Trent was training at the mat factory with us. And like I said, let's rewind to the, the fact that I was rolling out of bed. We were, we, I got to the fight show. We were warming up in the back, and coach was like, let's just do some pummeling, you know, just to get you warm up. Let's see what we can do, what we can handle. We were against the wall in the back, and I went to pummel once to get an underhook. 
I couldn't even do that. The pain was so excruciating. And I was like, you know what? Maybe with adrenaline going during the fight, I'll be able to go through it. But it was it was bad to the point where it wouldn't even let that go. So I was like, I was like, I got to knock him out. You know, I got to get the finish because if I don't and he takes me down and he's a good wrestler, he has the ability to take me down. Uh, I ended up beating him in wrestling and I believe I'm a better wrestler than him. Uh, but he's good enough to make it competitive where if we end up in a position where my rib starts hurting, you know, I'm going to get taken down. There's only so much I can do. So I'm like, I got to knock him out. Got to knock him out. So fight started. You know, I start walking him down, pressuring him hard. You know, waiting for the shot. Just kept throwing the lead right hand. He shot on me within 15 seconds. I sprawled, got the front headlock, ended up getting on top of him. Got the TKO within two minutes, I think. So it was a pretty fast fight. I was, uh, you know, I was lucky in a sense because that fight could have went a lot of other ways. Could have went a lot of other ways. And I was not in any shape to fight. I had a torn meniscus. Had uh, ended up getting surgery a month later after the fight. Most and people had would have never ribs. even showed up, you know, for something like that. Yeah, I mean, get, getting in a cage and fighting is itself. enough on its own. Yeah, you know. Now you add the fact that I had a torn meniscus, and then you add the fact that I had broken ribs, and the fact that all these people from my hometown came to watch me. You know, probably a couple hundred people there. You know, yeah. like expecting me to win. This is my ter first title fight. You know, I got a lot of hype behind me. There's just so much pressure. It's like the pressure of just fighting. Yeah. And then the pressure against fighting somebody good, somebody that I wrestled against before, somebody that knows a good wrestler, good good at jujitsu, good fighter, also undefeated, I believe, at the time. Um, and then the pressure of my knee, and then the pressure of my my ribs, and I have all this going through my head, and I'm like. Man, this is a really bad situation. I start having doubt in myself. You know what I mean? Like this, everything could go wrong. You know, I know I have a chance to win. I know I can knock him out. I have the power to knock him out. I know I have the wrestling ability. So how do you control that doubt? Like, you know, do you remember any points on your journey ever of having feelings of fear at all and how you got through those moments? Feelings of fear? Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say feelings of fear, but yeah, there's feelings that like you there, you don't always have an ideal situation and you know, when you're going up a against adversity and the adversity is strong and you also on top of that, you have a, in this case, a very good, talented and skilled opponent in front of you. You know, it's the doubt. Have you had any fear though on the journey at all? Like I was watching a video of Tyson and, and, uh, Fear is your friend. Model, yeah. Fear yeah. is your friend. Yeah. Without fear. Yeah. Have you had any of those stupid. ever feelings? Or no? I'm never honest, had any fear. Every, there's always people that saying like, if you don't have fear, if anybody's saying they don't get scared, they don't get nervous before a fight, they're lying. I'm not lying. I don't. And it it has to do with the fact that I put everything in the training. I don't leave anything out there. So I feel like where people start getting nervous, and of course. I can get knocked out. Anybody can get knocked out. We're in four-ounce gloves. I'm 185 pounds. We're 200 pounds by the time we're fighting. There's a lot of power behind those punches, a lot of power behind those kicks. I know there's a chance of that. You know, A little bit of luck's involved in that, some skill, uh, but I know there's that opportunity. However, I know that all else barred, that included, if I work as hard as I possibly can in the gym, every single practice, leave it all there, do everything I can for recovery, get my sleep, eat right, and I'm doing everything right, and I have no doubt in my mind that I outwork my opponent. And granted, this also doesn't guarantee you success. 
but I have a much better feeling about myself going to that cage knowing I outworked the guy across from me. You know, right. I outworked you. I might not be better than you, but I got 15 minutes to figure out how to beat you. If it's a title fight, I got 25. And I worked my ass off till this point. So I know you're not going to outwork me during this fight. And I'm going to try and figure out how to put you down before you what's, do. What's a typical schedule for you, training schedule-wise? I Throughout the week. So... You still well, getting in 15, 16 training sessions? I mean, we'd have to count while I'm naming this. Uh, I don't go by a whole week cumulatively, but during, I'll just go my camp schedule. Uh, Monday mornings, we have wrestling. It's about two hours long. Then rest for a couple hours, come back 5.30, 5.30 to 6.30, or, or 5 to 6, uh, kickboxing class. Then 6.30 to 7.30 is an MMA drilling class. So there's three three practices, four to five hours worth of practice during the day, plus the recovery stuff. Right after I'm doing, you know, sauna, cold bath, cryotherapy, getting massage, massages, going to see a chiropractor twice a week. So there's a lot of hours spent in recovery as well, which I count as a part of no my doubt. job. No doubt. Um, this ends up being a full-time job. Now, Tuesday rolls around. We have sparring in the morning. Sparring usually lasts for an hour. Uh, after sparring, I usually go for a run or hit the bag or hit the bag and run or hit pads with my coach right after sparring. So sometimes that lasts for about two hours total counting sparring. Then I go back at night, have jujitsu class from five to six. It's a drilling class, not anything hard, but sometimes at the end of the practice, he'll do a 10-minute push where it's like up-down drills where like the person on bottom builds up, you return them, submit them, and you keep doing that don't you never let go you always have your hands on them whatever it's really hard anybody that's ever done it knows knows it's hard um now after that i usually do strength and conditioning my strength conditioning usually lasts two hours so i give myself about a 15 minute break six same day around yep that's four yeah no this is three well yeah if you count the running and the pads and everything after the Mm -hmm. the sparring and you don't count that all as like one practice because i don't Mm -hmm. really take a break in between then yeah it ends up being four um, but my last one ends up at being like two hours long, my strength conditioning. So we're looking at two, three, f- th- this is probably my longest day, ends up being probably six, about six hours of training. Uh, Wednesday rolls around. Some Most of the time I take a break, like a midweek break. But sometimes if I turn around, like if I'm going to spar Saturday, because we have sparring Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. If I'm going to spar Saturday and de- instead, I'll take Thursday off and Wednesdays because there's a lot of classes on Wednesdays. There's a kickboxing class at 10 a.m., kickboxing class at 11 a.m., grappling class at 12 that ends at about 1245, and then there's boxing class uh, from 6 to 7 at nighttime. So there's a lot of opportunity for classes then. Recently, I've been doing the 10 a.m., a class and then right after going at 11 a.m. and then doing some drills at the 12 uh, p.m. class but not doing the live so I'm like doing three back to back but recently in the past I was doing the 11 a.m. class and I would do the 12 30 and then I would do the 6 p.m. at night and so another I, three on Wednesday yep and then I would take Thursday off Friday rolls around we have just grappling in the morning there's nothing mandatory at night I mean nothing's ever mandatory but they don't have actual classes at night so I'd either try to get pads in at nighttime or sometimes they run a circuit I'll do that Saturday spar right after sparring running or pads again Saturday night or Saturday afternoon lift Sunday off and Sunday usually I get my like body work my massage uh, more cryotherapy more cold tub 
sauna. About fourteen else. sessions. Would 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 you say you like the piling on three four training sessions and then giving yourself the two days off versus like maybe taking two per day and taking less days off? You know what I mean? Like if you went just six days or seven days, but less volume, or do you think it's better to have the three four and then have a day or two off a week when I do the three or four I need a day you know I need Wednesday or Thursday it's not yeah. about like wanting yeah but if I did two a day I could probably go six straight but I need the day off you know as soon as I start training too much this injury that I got on my knee I was training two to three times who a day you, six days a week who do you think right now are some of the best fighters out in the Game UFC or Bellator, who would any weight class like uh, anybody best impress you? John Jones, John Jones, the greatest of all time. Uh, light heavyweight, I think Vadim Nemkov. Um, I mean, he just beat Corey Anderson. I thought Corey Anderson would have been up there. He came over from the UFC on like a four fight win streak. He beat Glover Teixeira, who was the current champion in the UFC, then came over and lost to Vadim. Then, uh, in now, Bellator, yeah, so you have somebody that beat the who at the time was the current champion, Glover Teixeira. The person who beat him came over to Bellator on a four-fight win streak, decided to come over for money purposes. He getting paid more by Bellator, and then comes over and loses Vadim Nemkov. I mean, MMA that's, math that, don't add up like that. That's something I think but. people don't understand, especially people that aren't really involved. You know, people think everything's the UFC. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about? If yeah. you do MMA, everything's the UFC. And you see people on Instagram all the time in the comments, like, oh, yeah, because like, any time a Bellator fighter claims that they're best in the world or you see somebody else like a – reporter journalist or whatever there's a lot of fighters in bellator that are better than the fighters in listen the we all train together i tell people this all the time if you go to any big gym in the world you got kill cliff which used to be sanford which used to be hard knocks you got att you got uh jackson wink in albuquerque you got aka in, in, in california you go to any of these gyms all bellator fighters all one fc all ufc all of pfl guys train together like i don't know if like fans think about it like Okay, you got Bellator guys, they probably train together. You got PFL guys, they probably, they all, I don't know if they think we all train separate, but we all train together. So the fighters know. The fighters know that there's no difference in level between these promotions. These promotions are still the highest in the world. We're, if we're talking about viewership, we're talking about broadcasting, we're talking about production, of course the UFC is the best. They, have the, they reinvest in their product, they have the most money in their product, you know what I mean? But Bellator pays their guys a lot more. So people are like, Oh, if he was that's the best, another he'd go one that UFC. people don't don't know that a lot of the fighters in Bellator get paid more money uh -huh. than a lot I of the fighters in the UFC. A lot in on in, on Instagram, Twitter, whatever. If he was really the best, he'd go to the UFC and prove it. No, these guys have families. They have uh, they have to make money. They they need to make a living. They need to invest in into their retirement. They need to have. They're trying to set up. Passive income, you know, whether they're investing in real estate, whether they're trying to open up their own gym or other businesses or whatever. But Bellator gives a lot of these fighters the opportunity to do that because they're paying them more than the UFC would at their level. Now, the UFC, you got guys like the champions like Israel Asanya, uh, Conor McGregor, John Jones, the guys that are making big, big money. But typically, unless you're a champion in UFC, Bellator is going to pay you more in that top 10 range. And a lot of these guys are leaving the UFC to go to Bellator for the money. And there's a lot of guys that are going to Bellator for the money when they could have went to the UFC. Um, and the reason being is the money. They got family support. So the comment that people make is like, oh, if they were the best, they'd be in the UFC. No, they wouldn't. You know, people choose where they want to go. 
for whatever reason that they need to. Maybe they like Bellator more. Maybe they like the way they're treated more. Maybe they want to make more money. Maybe they don't care about the fame that goes along with the UFC. That It really doesn't matter. People fight because they love fighting. You know, some people fight because they have to. Everybody has their reasons. But you, you see these comments like that. You see these people saying that Bellator is the B-Leagues, PFL is the B-Leagues, 1FC is the B-Leagues, UFC is you know, the pinnacle of the sport is true to an extent. But if you look at it weight class wise, I think 170 is better in Bellator. I think 185 is better in Bellator. At 185, you got at UFC, you got a one, lot of one trick ponies. You got uh, Marvin Vittori, wrestler, you know, not very good one. Derek Brunson, wrestler, not a very good one. Uh, Israel Asanya, striker, but he can't wrestle. He has no jujitsu whatsoever. Um, I mean, you know how jiu you roll, roll jujitsu all the time. You know what I mean? When you, you were fighting against a striker that has no grappling, you, and, like guys that spar at Stout or other gyms and come to the Matt Factory to try and train with you, you ragdoll him. You know what I mean? There's a lot of guys that they think because he's in the UFC that he's better than everybody else. And if there's guys in Bellator better, they'd come over to the UFC. No, Dana's not going to sign these guys out of the UFC or out of Bellator. He doesn't want to pay them. You know what I mean? He wants them to come into the UFC and work their way up. A lot of these guys don't want to do that. And, uh, I think Bellator's 185-pound division is better. I think Robert Whitaker is the only, like, well-rounded, like, good MMA fighter. Everybody else is good at something, but they're a specialist. If you look now on the 170, Yuroslav Amazov, good at everything. He, I think he'd beat everybody in the UFC at 170. And then you got 135 where it's super deep, super deep division. I think it'd be super competitive. Anybody in the top 10 could win on any given day. It's up in the air. But it's super competitive to the point where I think the depth would have to go to 130, uh, the 135-pound division in Bellator. Uh, 205, I also believe, is more competitive in Bellator now, at least the top six of the division than uh, the UFC is. I mean, people can't name five UFC fighters in the 205-pound division, you know, and look how big the UFC is. That should mm -hmm. tell you enough. Mm -hmm. Now, UFC has heavyweight. UFC probably has 155, 145, 125, uh, and then the girls' divisions. But there's guys in PFL like Magomed Karamov, who's really good, put a lot of guys away in the UFC as well. Uh you see it in all types of weight classes. And Any, anything that you see on, on um, you know, obviously it makes you who you are to this day. So it's like, you know, I got no regrets and all that. But is there anything that if you can go back and do it again uh, that you would do different in your journey at all? I'm going to be honest with you. I, I say this all the time. People are like, oh, you, you needed to do that or you might not be where you're at if you didn't do this. But I, I wouldn't go to college. College was a waste of money, and it was a waste of time. I put myself in debt going. I didn't ever use my degree, even whenever I got my degree. And I was, granted, I had a 3.8 GPA. I have different accreditations with my... Uh, and that's why you had to work and you yeah, know, do all that I, other yeah, stuff. and I had... You Dr. Rasta, you'd have been over a 4.0, no doubt. Yeah, I had a finance degree with a minor in, um, in accounting, and then I bought different bunch of... Uh, accreditations to go along with it 3.8 gpa um and i just i couldn't even get an interview anywhere when i was just trying to get a job just to work you know just to train um while i was fighting something that like i get paid weekly and like i have a guaranteed income so i can at least you know set up like kind of budget myself like okay i have this much time training i could take care of my bills with this i yep. know i have this coming in and it's all with the goal to make it to the uh, Bellator or the UFC, you know, to make it in fighting. And I couldn't even get a, an interview, bro. 
Couldn't yeah. even get an interview with yep. all this shit. All, everything yep. that I did in my life couldn't even get an interview. It, it ain't such for a waste e- of money. it ain't for everybody. Yeah, you know it, what I mean. Some people need that, and it's good for them, and some people don't. And I, as a college graduate myself, you know, oftentimes, you know, in, in business environments, even in our business, you know, for the insurance business, you know, I, people ask me, "What do you think I should do?" And it's like, man, I never want to get. I don't want to be adverse to your parents or if mm-hmm. you promised your parents you were going to graduate, you know, I'm not out here telling kids like don't go to college. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But if if you they looked at, ba- at the back as the ba- or you're looked at as the bad guy if you do that. No you know doubt. What I mean? But and but if they ask my honest to God's opinion, depending on the situation, depending on what's going on, I'll tell them the same stuff. You know, I was like, man, 4 or 5 years of some places are twenty five, thirty thousand a year, mm-hmm. right? More so, than that. So, some places. So you go one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in debt, mm-hmm. and then you come out with no job, right? And if you just would have worked for those five years, and let's say you made fifty grand a year, which is not that hard to do if you go to work. Mm-hmm. So fifty grand a year over the next, you know, five years, you would have made one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Right or two hundred fifty two hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars over five years, two hundred fifty thousand dollars to the positive, yeah, and then you got so hundred and fifty to the negative, a four hundred thousand dollar swing, mm-hmm. right, with no experience. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because a lot of times experience will even trump, you know, the mm-hmm. the the degree. You know, a yeah. lot of times. So I couldn't agree with you more. I yeah. think that's makes a lot of sense. And that's another point. The the working. If I wasn't in college. Granted, like we talked about the debt, but I would have been able to spend more time working a full time job and would have been able to get up. I know my schedule. Yeah. You know what I mean? Especially yep. if I'm on an hourly job. Yep. Know my schedule. If I'm working nine to five, which I wouldn't want to do long term, you know what I mean? But it would be just to put myself in a position to do something else. No doubt. I would work out beforehand. I'd work out after, you know, and I have my schedule. Practice, work, practice. You and see it. You see it here. You know, it's not uncommon for people here 22 years old 21 years old to make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year and people mm-hmm. will knock us you know what i mean or they'll not knock it for us like man if a kid can go to the military and and so much respect for people that, that go to the military and fight for this country to give us the opportunity to do what we do in in my opinion in the greatest country in the world um but if they're old enough to go fight for this country, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, and that's okay, they sh- people can't knock somebody that's 21 or hate on somebody that's 21, 22 years old making six figures. And because they're not doing it, they got to knock that person, you mm-hmm. know, that's doing it because we got a lot of those people here, you know, doing that stuff with high character. You know, A, what l- I mean? a lot of that has to do with people that they, they want the money, but they don't want to take the risk. Because they know, they know the opportunities there, but they know the risk is they can turn, they can end up in debt, and end up with nothing if they take the risk. But if the risk pans out, you know, and they get the reward, they can end up a millionaire. Mm -hmm. And but that risk versus reward isn't worth it to them. They like, all right, I got financial stability. I know how much I'm going to make. I know the hours I'm going to work. I know for sure I'm good. I know I'm not going to put myself in debt unless I make dumb spending uh, decisions. Or I can go try to open up a business. I can go try to do something like this and, you know, run a lot of risk, possibly not make any money, possibly put myself in debt. And then I have to start from nothing. 
you know, or or debt. And they don't they don't want to do that. They want the money. They decide they despise the people that had the courage to go and take the risk and end up making the money. And they want the money, but they didn't want the risk. I think that's fine if people just don't hate. You know what I mean? But it's that's like, why they. Hate. I don't when I when I see somebody that let's say they're a teacher, or police officer, or firefighter, you know, or something like that. I never look at those people if they make 50 grand or 70 grand and ever in my brain, it never, ever registers that I think that I'm better than that person. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But that's how I, they I never, think ever that you would think. think that I'm better than that person. And man, it's crazy, man. Sometimes, you know, the other day I was driving, you want to talk about conversations off the radar. I was driving with, with one of the young guys in our business, John, and we were, we had to drive downtown for the, uh, Steel City cigar event that we did the fundraiser for the youth program. Thank you uh, for taking time out for that. Um, I I had the, the Rolls Royce mm -hmm. and we had the top down. It was a nice day and we were driving and you can hear somebody two lanes over screaming. F you, you know what I mean? Bye, bye, bye. Like screaming at me and John, you know, in the car with the top down. That could only be hate. Like, I don't know who these people are. Yeah, what'd you, what'd you do? Just because you're driving a Rolls Royce, they got to be screaming F you? That guaranteed. You know yeah. what I mean? That was the, the type of, you know what I mean, vibe that I felt. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like, man, sometimes those people got no, and it's no poor me. Just like you don't you don't go to the poor me, but your life, man, if somebody really walked through your life, man, like you didn't have it easy. I can show you the house that I grew up in. Not supposed to make me better or worse than anybody, but the fact is the house sold for eleven thousand five hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. I grew up on the east side of Youngstown. Yeah. I had great grandparents. I got exposed. I went to Ursuline, you know, to play football, and you know, I had great things. But the fact of the matter is, the people that would pass that type of judgment on me, I guarantee you, they couldn't walk a mile in my shoes or have any idea where I came from to get to the point of uh, where we're at right now to be able to drive a Rolls Royce. That my mother had to the car would stall out in the middle of the road and I would be embarrassed to even have her take me to school Been there. because the car we're pumping the gas and hitting the, hitting the thing is like, man, just drop me off around the corner. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? And pow, you know what I mean? Like a gun went off. Yeah. You know, it was our car trying to make it, you know, it felt our car was like an old ass man trying to run a marathon. You know what I mean? Every time I, I was getting dropped off at school and then I got somebody driving by screaming derogatory things that probably, um, they wouldn't want to see me in a street fight. You know what I'm saying? And, and just judging the whole scenario. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I, I think in my end, what I've learned, you look at, at, at companies like Google or, you know, some of these big companies, the Apple, you, you'll find that people that were just loyal to the process that weren't necessarily the founders or the entrepreneurs or owners, but they stayed loyal to the process on their come up years later, they became millionaires. I think a lot of times because I'm an entrepreneur and I talk a lot about business, it's you don't always only have to be an entrepreneur to be great. I mm -hmm. think you can plug yourself into a business and add value. And if you add extreme value and you do it consistently over time, there could be a very, very large payoff. Like my, my highest paid, salaried person here in our business makes multiple six figures and started out with me at 10 bucks an hour working part-time, you know, 20, 20 hours a, uh, a week. Dalton, what, over the last maybe five years of your life, you know, what would you say 
what area of your life have you grown the most? Like, can you point to an area of your life that's like, man, me at 27 and me at 22, this is where I think that I got better at not fighting. Like, what area of your just personal life do you think that you've grown in? I think maturity, for sure. Uh, you know, I was forced to grow up young because my dad passed away. You know, I don't talk to my mother. She lives out in Arizona. We went over this before. We got a little bit of hate back for that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I got hollered that. at. Yeah. I got in trouble. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I would say maturity, man. And along with that maturity, it's like learning to let things go and let people, you know, be how they are. Like you're talking about like people hating on you and like this this story about how they're just screaming f you just because you're right driving a rolls royce and you have to understand I, I i know now that that stuff is derived from their own insecurities at the end of the day that's why people hate they want what you have Facts. and like you said you never feel better than any of those people that make 50 or 70 grand just because you make more money you never think you're better than them but that's the way they think that you think. They're making that assumption. They're making that insinuation because that's their insecurity. In their head, they're thinking that you're better than them, which you're not. You guys are both the same people. You that's guys right. both have your careers. That's Success right. is defined in different ways. But they think that you think that because you make more money than them, because you drive a Rolls Royce. If you want to drive a Rolls Royce and you have the money to do so, and that's something you want. Everybody has their dreams. Everybody has their dream car. Everybody has their dream career, their dream house. You know, If that's what you wanted to drive your whole entire life and now you became successful enough financially to, to do so, you should be allowed to do that. People shouldn't be insecure to the point where they're they're screaming "f you" out the uh, at the top of their lungs when you're driving, just because you're driving a Rolls Royce, a car that you wanted your whole entire life. When if you flip the script and you were that person and they had the money to, to buy Rolls Royce, they'd be buying a Rolls Royce. You know, there's all these people that's always saying like tax the rich and get me by no means. Don't get me wrong, I am not I'm not rich. You know what I mean? I'm doing well for myself, but I am not rich. But I'm not going to sit here and be one of these people that say you should tax billionaires and millionaires more. The the government, first off, never does anything good with your money. You know, they're they're just shitting it away. Second off, why do you want to penalize somebody that's successful that already gets taxed more than you? They're already in the higher tax bracket. Why do you want to penalize them even more just because they're successful? I guarantee, if you were making a million dollars per year, you wouldn't say, "Oh, the IRS." Hi, I'm making a million dollars a year. I want you to take more of my money. I worked so hard for this million dollars a year, and I want you to take 600000 of it. Nobody's saying that. Nobody just wants to give it away. You you donate your money to charities. You're helping out. You have the still city impact. You're constantly making an impact in your community, and you're not even from the Pittsburgh area. Like you said, you started that uh, Inspiring Minds in in youngstown and then you felt the need to do something in pittsburgh you're constantly making you're constantly making strides towards helping the community you're making your donations you're creating these these foundations and you're doing these fundraising events trying to help these kids out and give these kids a better chance because you knew how you grew up you know but there's a lot of people that grew up better than you and they grew up in a middle class home and then they went to college and got a middle class job and they're still envious at people that started at nothing started less than them and ended up more successful than them and now you're trying to give back and you're you're trying to help those kids but for some reason they still find a way to hate and at the end of the day it makes me angry you know i'm i'm going off right now about it but you have to learn and this comes with maturity that you can't sit here and give every single one of those people a lecture 
on this because you could tell them till you're blue in the face and they're not going to change. They are set in their ways. You know, like I said, they didn't want to take the risk. They're not going to reap the reward. They think that the government should take more of your money just because you're more successful than them. With if the rules were were flipped, if they were switched, and they were the person, they wouldn't want to be giving the money away. It's just the position that they're in. It's all about perspective. Yeah. So you'd say you you've grown in the fact that you've learned to block out haters mm-hmm. more. Yeah. Do you think people and that I, look at, at at you or whatever and just ridicule what you got going on? You yeah. think you've changed that over the last five years people are always going to have something to say i heard you in here before i walked in and do this podcast you were talking on your last one and you were saying that you have to like learn to block those people out because uh if you were a next 185 pound ufc champion world champion and you lose once there's going to be memes people are going to be knocking you people are going to be talking about you they're going to be making fun of you and that's the truth you know that is the truth you could have all the success in the world and you fail once you know, and you fail hard, you will fail hard, you know, you got to be ready for that. But a lot of these people that take the risk, know that that's part of it. And they're ready for that. You know, they're not thinking, all right, I'm going to go in and lose this fight. All right, I'm not going to fail in business. I'm not going to put myself in debt this week. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to have more expenses than I have revenue this month. But they know that's a risk. They have to accept that they have to come to terms with that and they have to do everything in their power to not let that happen and other people's influence and uh, other people's opinions and haters isn't going to change that fact you know what I mean they're not doing it to please those people they're doing it to be successful themselves and they know what people are going to say along the way speaking of you know which man what was what was crazy was cool to watch happen was you call your shot bro of of uh your fight with romero cotton was that two fights ago two fights ago two two fights ago uh i got to be there in person you Mm -hmm. know i remember how bad you wanted that for so long over a year Mm might have been going on two years year and a half yeah you were asking for that wanted that so bad Mm -hmm. three-time national champ you know wrestler he was also undefeated yeah looked the part you know had the resume big as hell and you were wanting that fight you know for so long and uh, to me, to date, you know, it was like that was one of your better performances. For sure. And uh was cool to see you ended that one with, with the Superman punch. Um, speaking of memes, you know, I think Josh put a couple nice ones together for the for the grind cast, you know, for the uh, for the agency on on it. And and that was dope, bro. So what what gave you that level of of confidence leading up to it, knowing that he was three time? you know, national champ wrestler, undefeated, you know, all of that stuff. Like, you were so confident coming into it. At the end of the day, all that is. Because you're a good shit talker. I mean, you <laughs> this this dude can talk some shit for sure. When Josh was like, man, what do you guys know? Normally, we just verbally spar with each other, and and uh, he talks about how short I am and shit. You know what I mean? So I, I try to come up with new material, you know, all the time. But that's, that's what we normally do. So I laugh when it's somebody else's turn to take the verbal abuse, you know, <laughs> when you start talking stuff to somebody else. But what, what gave you the confidence, man? Like I said, first off, it's all the hard work. Second off, I know those accolades, the three-time NCAA champ, the four-time finalist, all, all it is is just that, you know. It's, and that was in wrestling. This is MMA. It's different. On top of that, I know the pedigree – of, of my own wrestling. I know the level I'm on, and I knew I could wrestle with him. Even if he was a little bit better than me, I knew I was going to make it make it competitive. And I know I'm on that level, but I, you know, I ended up transferring to play football, 
instead of wrestling in college. I'm not going to sit here and make excuses. I'm not going to be a has-been, but I know how good I was at wrestling. So that, that first. Second, my hard work. Third, game planning. You know, I believe in my coaches. I believe in my believe in myself. I have good sparring partners. I have good training partners. And I knew we were going to come up with the best game plan possible. Another thing is that I just, I've just always been a confident individual. You know what I mean? It's like I, I've always been the person, if you think you can beat me, if, if, whether it was wrestling, whether it was fighting, whether it was boxing, that you're going to have to prove it to me. You know, whether it's in sparring, whether it's in a fight, it, do, it does not matter. You're going to have to prove it to me. And you like know, I proved to you in that curl competition that we had uh, uh, when yeah. we had the curl off competition yeah. that w was that during COVID too. Uh, uh, yes. And uh, I think tell that, last, tell that story. No, tell I that think, story. Okay. So we started off. I, I don't know how much weight I'm just going to throw an arbitrary number out there. 40, 45 pound dumbbells. We're doing concentration curls inside of our leg, uh, sitting down on a bench, start off like 10 reps, you know, solid 10 reps too. like we normally squeeze. do arguing yep. with each other. Who's yep. going to do more? And then I noticed the next set, he did 11. I, I counted, and he did 11. He didn't say anything out loud, but he, I seen he did 11. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do 12. And I did 12 the next set, and he noticed I did 12. So then I seen he, he did 15. And at this point, we're like, okay, we know what we're doing. So we just kept going up. We went up in weight. We started going up in reps. And it got to the point where, like, these reps weren't even actual curls. We were using our whole body. We're swinging to get these reps up. up and we're going to, like, 70 reps, you know. And we're just we're, – we're, we're killing time. We're probably spending Half an extra 30 in. minutes, yeah, there than we have to. And we're just sitting there tr trying to do as many curls as we can just to compete with each other. And – we, we were there probably a half hour doing that shit. And we ended up 70 Finally, fucking like, reps and we're like, truce. okay, yeah, let's just call it a truce. What, what, what would you say are some of the best supplements? You know, I know you're a supplement taker, you know, anything to get, get an edge. Some people say supplements are a waste of time. You just pee everything out. You know, what, what do you think are some useful supplements? Well, I mean, everybody knows I'm sponsored by glass and they have different like uh, formulas and everything that they put together. I don't together. think they do know every. You said it's Glaxon. Glaxon. Okay. It's a supplement company. Um, some of my favorite, I take a testosterone booster, and a lot of people are like, Jalen does this all the time. He's like, oh, that's, I don't want to take testosterone. I'm like, bro, it's not testosterone. It's a formula that's supposed to naturally boost your testosterone, your free testosterone. It's a bunch of adaptogenics and herbs that have potential to boost your testosterone and I'll take the alpha three, six, five by them, which has like maca and it has tribulus, fenugreek, all things that have been shown to have potential to, uh, boost testosterone. It also has Tonkat Ali, uh, has boron, which is shown to free up your, uh, free testosterone and bound testosterone. So you have more floating throughout your body to use for your tissues. And then on top of that, I'll take a Fidogia Agrestis supplement, which Dr. Huberman talks about a lot. And I've been doing a lot of research on myself. There's a lot of clinical studies showing that it has a significant effect on your testosterone and your free testosterone as well. So I take all of those. I think those are very important because as we age, even somebody like myself, 27 years old, your testosterone does start to decline. You know, and, and as a professional athlete, I can't take TRT. I think TRT is a viable option for a lot of people. And if it's going to enhance your quality of life, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, 
but I can't do that as an athlete. Uh, I don't, I'm, I wouldn't qualify for it yet either, but uh, I'm trying to do everything I can between the way I'm eating, uh, supplements, everything. So I, first things first, I would say testosterone boosters, Alpha 365. It's a good formula. There's other brands out there that have good formulas. Uh, Beyond Raw has a good one. It's called DTF, which is Dynamic Testosterone Formula, not what you think it stands for. Uh, there's a few other ones. Axe and Sledge has a good one. And... Pretty much the, the companies that are known for producing good supplements are usually going to have a good testosterone booster as well because they know it's very vital to building muscle. So you believe in the test boosters? Yes, I okay. believe. I believe. Even if it only makes a 100-point difference, that's that's a big difference in your testosterone, your total testosterone. Uh, other ones, creatine. Huge on creatine. It doesn't matter what brand as long as you're getting creatine. I've I'm come around on that. Yeah, which I you, remember you used to. I was anti-creatine yep, for a while. Used to be I was worried about you. Me. Yeah, <clears throat> and uh, there's a, it, it helps with your brain. Uh, it helps with muscle size. It helps increase lean muscle mass. Uh, it help, actually helps with hydration. Yeah, I remember you, you thought it was dehydrating you. Yeah. So it brings it muscle. Make me cramp. Yeah, it brings muscle into your cell, or it brings water into your cells and actually helps retain water. So a lot of time after I cut weight, I'll, you know, kill the creatine along with electrolytes. You have to be drinking electrolytes as well, but there's a lot of people out there that think like hydration is just water. If you're drinking just water and a bunch of water, you're going to pee out all your electrolytes. You know, you got to be drinking electrolytes too. So if you're drinking a, a gallon of water a day and you're taking creatine and you're starting to cramp up a little bit because you have a hard routine with lifting, it's not because of the creatine. It's because you're not adding any electrolytes in. Um, electrolytes are also very important for muscle function. Magnesium is very important for muscle function. You know, you got potassium that's going to help with heart health. It's going to help with muscle function as well. Sodium and calcium. There, there's other ones, magnesium, zinc. Uh, but I, very, I, I think electrolytes, creatine, test boosters, and obviously protein. There's a lot of people that don't get enough protein in a day, whether it's they're not eating enough meat, uh, they're not or they're, they're on a vegan diet, you, you need to supplement with protein as well. And uh, I would say a full amino uh, acid, spe a full spectrum amino acid, meaning not just the BCAs and not just five EAAs. There's 20 amino acids out there known that you could put into an oral uh, amino acid formula where you can absorb all of those through the drink there's there's a lot that you get through meats that you get through your diet there's some that your body produces on their own but the what about a multivitamin multivitamin i don't think it's very necessary if you have a good diet if you're eating you know if you're eating red meat you're eating fruit you're eating vegetables you're good but if your diet's not there of course you're going to need a multivitamin or if you're dieting hard you want to lose weight you're on a weight loss program a multivitamin might might help how about any uh, thank you for that, man? Um, what about the any misconceptions you know you think are out there about you um, that you could debunk? Like anything that people you've heard is said about you, or anything that you you know think people think of you? No, I mean I don't really care to. I hear shit about myself all the time. Me that too. Like, that's that's news to me. Me too. You know I hear it all the time, but uh, not not saying that I'm you know, a big deal or anything, but like when you're having some success and you're in the spotlight, whether it's, you know, on your local scene, a regional scene, whatever, there's going to be a lot of people talking about you. There's going to be stories that are made up. There's going to be some truth that's being stretched. Uh, and that's mostly just people that don't have very good social skills. They, they find somebody else else that doesn't like you and that's their way of talking to each other and getting along with each other. 
And <laughs> yeah, you, I mean, you get that a lot. Right. So I'm, I'm right. not too worried about it. The people that know me, if it, if they, if they know me, they know it's not true. And, uh, those people can spread the lies as much as they want. If somebody asked me, of course, I'll clear my name to that person, but I'm not going to go to a great extent to it's like, okay, I'll tell I, you, I told you, you don't that. believe me. Facts. It's fine. Facts. You know, I know one, um, is, is the testosterone thing. You know, I think you. Oh, I was saying I'm on. T- you're so ripped up. Yeah, people. You say know, I'm on in big, all the time. people say you're on steroids. You know, yeah, all the time. I don't even know why I didn't think. Your about last that. fight, I was there. I was arguing with somebody in the crowd about <laughs> that. Right. It's every time if you go to watch Bellator's uh, posts on Instagram. Anytime they post a video of me. Anytime they post a picture of me at weigh-ins, the face-offs. Every single time, you'll see like trolls. I, yeah, I, I inject trolls. NAD into my stomach sub Q. There was, uh, you can see the little bumps on my stomach during the one weigh-ins because I was super lean and I was always doing the same two spots. You know, sometimes I rotate with my legs, but you start developing a little bit of scar tissue. And there's somebody on there who's like, his his gut comes a little uh, out a little bit if you look at him from the side. And he has those bumps on his stomach. He's definitely taking HGH. That's growth gut that he has. And uh, you can see the lumps on his stomach for where he injects it at. And I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm not even going to argue with this person. You know what right. I, mean? I don't take steroids. I'm, I'm, I get tr- drug tested by Bell or not by Bellator, by the, the Athletic Commission in the fight that which we f- we fight in. So if I'm fighting in Connecticut, Connecticut's Athletic Commission will test me. And those Athletic Commissions, they use the WADA testing list, which is the same list used by the uh, Olympics, the same list used by the UFC. So the UFC is, they have a third-party testing agency called USADA. USADA use, has the same band list as WADA, but they just... They can show up at your house. They can show up at the gym. They just show, they have your location at all times. So they can drug test you whenever. I only get drug tested when I have a fight coming up or if I'm at an event for a press conference. Uh, somebody that got drug tested recently, Sydney Outlaw, he ended up popping for a couple of different peptides that you're not allowed to take. And uh, he got banned uh, for six months to a year, I believe, uh, suspended. And he wasn't allowed to fight into the Grand Prix, which they're having in his weight class. So... If anybody has a doubt that Bellator tests you, that should be. And that was out of competition. He didn't even have a fight coming up, and he got tested, popped. And uh, people get popped after the fights all the time. We get drug tested. There's people that obviously might cycle on and off, you know, but it's it's not something I'm worried about. If people want to say I'm on steroids, they can do so. I'm not. I do everything right. My diet, supplements, training, and I have good genetics. I've been this like this my whole life. I show people uh, pictures when I was 7, 8 years old, flexing, had a six-pack, biceps, everything. They're going to think what they want at the end of the day. Like I said, I could tell them to right. blue in the face. No doubt. Not going to change their mind. No doubt. Um, to close out, you know, I think we touched a, a lot on, you know, I think one thing that you have to do on your come up, you know, if you're going to get successful at anything is you got to learn that the higher you climb, the more people that are going to talk about you, mm-hmm. you know, the more people. And typically, you know, they, there's a saying out that says, you know, you usually won't find a hater that's doing better than you. You know, so usually it's the people that haven't gone as, as far as you've gone that are going to hate on you. And I think that is one thing that everybody out there that is pushing for greatness, that's on their way to greatness, just has to get comfortable with and, and learning that that's going to mm-hmm. it's going to happen. You know, you got to get used to that. We talked about that. Any other closing things, you know, that that you would give to somebody out there, whether it's people that are pushing to get better in, in MMA or have a, a dream in MMA or a dream in business or whatever it is, any words of advice or, or anything that you would share with those people to inspire those people or 
anything that you've learned on your journey, you know, in closing that you would give to those people? It doesn't even have to be with just MMA itself. It could be with anything, business, sports, whether it be football, MMA, if you want to go be a doctor, whatever. There's going to be people that are going to doubt you, that tell you you need to be realistic. There's going to be people that talk behind your back that won't say it to your face, but you hear it from other people anyways. And there's going to be people that might not say anything to you, but you see the smile or the look on their face whenever you say that, you know, you're going to be the next UFC champ or you're going to be, you're going to go to the NFL. You have to understand that that's a part of it. These people grew up with you. They don't think that you're capable of anything great. Uh, anybody who's ever been great, Mike Tyson, you know, went to a normal, probably went to a normal school, a normal high school, grew up with friends. And before he was a big name, whenever he was just Mike Tyson to them, and he, he was just their friend, a guy from around the corner, if he said he was going to be world champion, they were probably laughing. You know, they were probably thinking like, oh, Muhammad Ali is somebody that is a world champion. You know, that's somebody that could, if they said they were a world champion, people would believe it. Uh, but Muhammad Ali started off just like Mike Tyson. He was just a normal kid around the corner that cash is clay. Yeah, that everybody everybody knew, you know, as Cassius Clay. They just knew him as that. He wasn't a boxer. He wasn't a world champion. He started from the bottom and worked his way up. And you have to understand that that that's it's going to be like that no matter what you do. So people ain't going to believe. Yeah, don't let that deter you. I had family, you know, telling me I need to be more realistic. More realistic. I had people telling me I need to stop rolling around with sweaty men in my family because that's not going to get me anywhere. You know, and I still have people to this day touch up on this a little bit. Dimitri told me that I, I talked to you about this, that uh, a couple people in his shop, not going to mention their names, but they know who they are if they watch this, that's saying that I can't beat Israel Adesanya. They're saying that because they know me. They grew up with me. They're from the same town as, town as me. They idolize Israel Adesanya as the best fighter in the world. And they think there's no way that Dalton Rasta from Newcastle, Pennsylvania, and he fights for Bellator, the B-Leagues, that could beat Israel Adesanya. There's no way, you know? And then one day, whenever I finally do fight him, and I, when I finally do beat him, they're going to say that they believed in me. But I heard the comments. I was here for him. I remember him. It's not motivating me, and it's not discouraging me. I told you this before. I don't let it have a, an effect on me because I have my motivations. I have everything set in place for why I do what I do. And them saying that isn't going to affect me, but I will remember it. Yeah, no so doubt. That's that's I, just I, how it is. I I tell people, you know, I I heard before. I like um. I want you to t talk bad to me to my face and and good about me behind my back, right? I'd rather tell you. I'd rather tell you, keep it real with you, and say some bad things to you that I feel, and be real with you, and then support you and talk good about you behind your back than the people that talk good to me to my face and then talk bad about me, mm -hmm. you know, behind my back. Um, I think, you know, I, I, I know that's your stance. A lot of time, me and you, we got to go to, uh, we just agree to disagree, but I know that's how you feel. I know that's, you say that all the time that the, the, what people say don't motivate you or demotivate you. It just, it is what it is. Cause you're already motivated. It mm -hmm. doesn't affect you either way. Yeah. My motivation's um, in place is already there. Me. I love the, the, I do get inspired and motivated by a little bit of shit talk. I do put that as fuel when I hear, you know, people talking about me or when adversity comes my way. It's almost like I've learned to need that in a sense. I like that little bit mm -hmm. of, uh, and put that away for myself for when I need it, you know, in the future. But, um, that's okay for some people. If you need that, that's fine, you know, but even if you didn't have that, you have your goals, no you doubt. have your motivations, you have the reason why you do what you do. 
that motivates you no a little doubt. bit more. Nothing wrong with it. You know what I mean? All the yep. more power to you. But even if they weren't there, you know damn well you'd be doing the same shit. Facts. How would how would people go about following you? It's just regular Dalton, like yeah, Dalton, just Dalton Ross on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook. Nothing. Follow the journey. Yes, Follow the Dalton Ross the journey. Uh, if you ain't on the train, get on the, get on the train now. And uh, other than a couple curse words, you know, out there, I, I don't know how many how many people there your your, your people are gonna find uh, with a better uh, person to look up to and admire as a young person um, by the way that you live your life. You know, I see the way you live your life behind the scenes, bro. And, and uh, somebody should be jumping on the endorsement bandwagon ASAP, you know, for, for you, man, because um, they, it ain't too many cleaner people out there, you know, for people to look up to and admire and young people to look up to and admire. So proud of you, man. Uh, keep up the good fight. Thank you for, coming on the grind cast again and every time we get a chance to see you in the bird brother we're, we're excited to have you so proud of you keep going keep grinding keep hustling thank you bro my dog thank you for having me on hey thanks for joining us on another episode of the grind cast get ready it's a new day